Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings Players Championship, DraftKings Picks, player by player, maybe even sneak in a few bets while we're at it. This is the first look. Pricing has just dropped. We want to go player by player to get you ready and get you up to date on what all of these guys have been doing all season long and how prepped they're going to be for the Players' Championship. Plus, I got money to give away. I got new contests coming out. It is fantastic news. So, I got $500 cold hard cash to give it away. How am I going to give it away? Am I going to give one person $500, two people $250, five people $100? I don't know yet. So, the best way to do that is to get into the draw to get your name on the ballot to see what you're going to win. It's probably going to be two people for $250. That seems like the most fair at this point. And hell, maybe Tambo will chuck on some extra money on the Wednesday DraftKings pick show after we know the tee times, the win splits. That's when we're going to finalize our picks. So, remember, all week long, We got Friday, Sunday research show, Monday bets with Feinberg and Cuss. Best bets with Rob Pizzola and Cam Stewart. Then Wednesday, all of the final information and picks with Tambo on Wednesday morning. Then Cut Sweat Live on Friday evening with myself, Cust, and a bunch of friends to go through it. So plenty of Players Championship content coming for you. But here's what you do if you want to get your hands on some of that $500 of cash. The way to get 10 ballots into the draw. The biggest thing you can do is subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, and you must leave a five-star review, make up something you enjoy about the show, and in it, leave your Twitter handle and or email address. If you've already done it before, you can just go update it, and boom, it pops you up to the very top of the list so people can see it, and we can re-put your ballots into the draw. We'll be doing this again for the Masters, but please help support the show. That's a big way to do it. Smash a like if you sub to the channel, YouTube channel, Mayo Media Network, there's three ballots into the draw. And follow me on Twitter at the P-M-E. And that's good for another two ballots into the draw. But that audio giveaway is the big one. You can do it on Spotify as well. But you can only you can leave a rating on Spotify. But if you leave a review, I think you have to do that from desktop. I don't know. I'm going to be mentioning fantasynational.com all week. And you should really go get it. If you go to fantasynational.com slash mayo, you get 20% off. It has all of the tools to help you research, create your lineups, make your bets, run the simulations when those come out on Tuesday. It has all of the tools that you need to adjust your exposure, ownership percentages, and real time from DraftKings. So fantasynational.com slash Mayo. The Listeners League for DraftKings is now available. It's down in the description. $75,000 of rake free money. DraftKings isn't taking a cent on this. You can have up to three entries. This is going to fill very quickly. So I recommend that you go get your spot right now. Okay. And then next Sunday, not this Sunday, next Sunday, 
We're going to be doing a live March Madness bracket, and I've teamed up with some good friends, and it's going to be a charity league. I think we're going to have $5,000 to give away to you, the people who play in it, to the winners. It's going to be completely free to play, but for every entry that we get in it, there's going to be a dollar that goes to charity, so the more you can spread that around, once that comes out, it's going to be me, Cust, and Raza doing our bracket like we do every year. So that is nice that we can give back a little bit uh, for, you know, match a dollar per entry. So the more people deploy, the more money that goes to charity. All right, I think that is everything. If you want XFL or F1, F1 projections are free at runthesims.com right now. If that interests you, it's a pretty soft market. But we're here to talk about the players. Pricing just dropped. As you can hear in my voice, Joe, I donate that I'm very excited about this. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me on, Pat. I'm excited to talk about it with you as well. We know this event, well, you bring me on on one of the toughest events to predict historically. Last year was absolute carnage. The year before, I have in my notes, 16 of the top 32 missed the cut in this event. Um, so, but, it, but it's fun to sort of embrace the volatility and chaos uh, every year that is TPC Sawgrass. So, uh, at TorPix on Twitter, if you want to follow Joe, Rick Gaiman, he's at a wedding. Ben Raza is on vacation. Uh, normally, those would be the two in the spot. So, Joe, you got a chance to bump these guys off and just claim the spot for your own. Yeah, bring it. Uh, classic Wally Pip situation here. You leave for a wedding, maybe I assume the role. Um, but it's it's awesome. I I, I can't hold a candle, unfortunately, to those those guys in many cases. But um, I do have some good notes. I got everything pulled up here. I'm ready to talk players, baby. So, would you make any bets or make? concrete DraftKings picks before a you knew the tea times and or the weather splits no um just given what the weather situation was last year we see what's happening now as we speak pat as the weather has as the wind has just picked up heavily um down in orlando so i think given what is we've seen recently here um given that we have no idea the tea times it's a good idea to have a baseline and star some guys on fantasy national that you're using and have some some notes in place so that when those tea times drop when we get a little more information from the weather and the tea splits uh, you can make a decision from there so the biggest thing, as Joe mentioned, this is a highly variant tournament. You know, 16 of the top 32 missing the cut. If you just had guys in the wrong wave last year, you were absolutely screwed. And I will raise my hand as the guy who had all of the guys in the wrong wave. Because that's how I, how I read the weather, that it was going to play out, that my guys would be in the good part. But then they delayed everything, and then my guys got the worst of it. And they made them play through it, which was the worst part. So everyone from the other wave ended up doing really well. So guy, And when we talk about waves, if you're new to the show, guys that start in the morning mean they conclude their round in the afternoon, a.m., PM and the guys that go out late on Thursday play in the morning on Friday. So they would be PM AM for anyone who's new to the show. I don't want to talk over anyone's head. Uh, the research show in full, my walkthrough, what you need to look for more in depth is going to be available on Sunday. Highly recommend you tune into that and just sub to the newsletter. Mayo media. It's completely free. It's down in the description. Uh, just sub to it right now and you'll get more notes and more information. If anything breaks, I will send out a new newsletter. I'm not going to spam you or anything like that, but I would highly recommend that you do that. Joe, Oh, you're a Florida guy, Florida man, yeah. even. I don't know if you're on bath salts or not. I don't know what's going on with you. But do you subscribe to the fact that there are just guys that play much better in Florida than the rest of the country? So I do think there's a familiarity aspect, particularly on and around the greens. Chipping is difficult on Bermuda. Putting is 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 takes some time to get to read uh, in terms of Bermuda as well. But the thing, Pat, is like 
there's that that you can have an advantage there, but it can all be quickly lost with all the water that is around every hole. There's some of it's not in play in Sawgrass, but there's water on 17 holes of the 18 uh, that that is somewhere on those holes. So even though you can be really good and really familiar with it, things can go bad very quickly. And when they go bad, unlike Riviera, where you miss a shot and you can maybe still get up and down for par, but bogey is essentially worst case scenario. We see doubles. We see triples. We see guys essentially shoot themselves out of the cut line on one hole here, which makes it incredibly variable, which makes it difficult to predict. Like we have Rom, you know, who's out in front of the API now, but historically these events, um, I usually try it from, from a one and dumb perspective. I feel less confident playing the top guys in Florida than I do anywhere else, because historically we see guys just randomly miss cuts. It doesn't happen seemingly in other regions of the country. For sure, it's one bad shot can screw up your entire tournament. So when I go back and look at comparison courses to Sawgrass, I think that there is an undeniable link between the Wyndham Championship and Sawgrass because most of the top-end players don't play at the Wyndham Championship. It's the last one of the regular season. It's more of, uh, if we're putting this into WWF terms, it's the intercontinental champions that end up trying <laughs> to compete for the money at the Wyndham Championship. But again, it's not in Florida, but it's pretty close. It's similar Bermuda greens, similar style courses. Obviously, this is a Pete Dye course at TPC Sawgrass. That is a Donald Ross design. But we've seen just a lot of crossover on these short Bermuda courses. I would say you can throw Heritage and Sony into that mix as well. Even Colonial, which is on bent grass, but still seems to share a lot of properties with TPC Sawgrass when you're looking at the mid-tier of guys who can rise up. Obviously, any of the top guys can win this tournament. We've seen that over the years. But we've also seen our share of upsets here. The Tim Clarks, the Siwoo Kims of the world. I mean, Siwoo has won at both. Stenson has won at both. Webb Simpson has won at both the Wyndham Championship and at uh, at, uh, TPC Sawgrass. Sergio is another one who's done it. I think Davis Love is another one. So do you think there's something to that with the Wyndham Championship? Yeah, I do think there's a little bit of correlation factor there. I think Pete Dye is probably the biggest length. Another interesting one, Pat, that I've noticed. So, Phoenix? you know, in is it Phoenix? The last- no, it's actually Kapalua Ooh. randomly. So last year, Cam Smith won both. The year before that, um, JT won here and finished in a playoff at Kapalua, although he lost that playoff. And the year before that, Rory was fourth at Kapalua and won here. So those are the last three years since they've switched this event um, to a March date, which I think is important to note when you're sort of um, looking at research for this event, that they did move this event from May to March. Um, a lot of players have commented, including Justin Thomas, that they essentially took their old notes for this event and threw them out the door and started from scratch when it shifted to March. The course plays much softer in Florida. It's not so firm and fast. It brings driver into play a little bit more. It's not a heavy driver course, but they're more likely to take it now in early March than they were in May when they could run a three iron or four iron out there 260 yards. Um, so it has shifted in terms of how the course is played. And that was just another interesting, like sort of one that I noticed where the guys who won at TPC Sawgrass also played really well at Kapalua. So um, there's a couple of good comp courses that I think make some sense this week. All right. Well, let's get into the players. John Rahm is the most expensive player on the board. Not shocking in that regard. $11,800, $800 more than Rory McIlroy. Uh, you don't really need to 
think about what John Rahm is doing at the moment. He's winning everything. He's currently winning the tournament that's going on. Not to say that he's going to win, but he's the heavy favorite to do so at the moment. And just taking a look at what he's done so far this season, it has been amazing. The only time that he really stumbled was on the back nine at Phoenix, where he came third, and then everyone just assumed he was going to win at Torrey Pines, and then he had a bad Sunday. Uh, he left a chip in the rough because he was completely buried, and it kind of derailed his other round. Other than that, he's won three of his past five starts. He hasn't had the best run at the Players' Championship, though. Remember, he was in contention in 2000. I can't, uh, he was top 10 in 2021, as I remember. Yes. Was that the year that he tried to go for the green from the bunker, or was that the year before, and he completely melted down on Sunday? I'm not sure which one it was, but it was the one where he got in the argument with his caddy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, when we look back at historic stroke skiing stats from the players, and it's a lot like you know, even something like Bay Hill in the Honda Classic, too, that we see. Like, Rom in 2019, 2021, there was no 2022 to 2020 tournament. Hideki was the first round leader, but the first round didn't even conclude at that point. Like he gained almost seven strokes on approach in 2019, almost five strokes on approach in 2021. He lost almost seven in two rounds or in all four rounds last year, because if you hit it into the water, like twice, it's going to screw up what your strokes gain stats tell you at waterlog courses like this, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of that probably comes on those par fives where there is water right around the greens and they're short, right? Two of them are like 523 yards, which in PGA tour terms is, is nearly a long par four for these guys. That said, they're all very tempted to go for that green in two and there's water all around it. You miss that shot where everyone is essentially making birdie and you somehow make par or bogey. You're losing a lot of strokes um, in that environment. Rom is Look, it feels like you're, you're, I'm kind of wandering on the train tracks with a hoodie on and headphones on and just hoping to not get hit by this uh, steamroller that's coming right at me every each and every week. It's look, ten eleven thousand eight hundred dollars in DraftKings. It's crazy to say it doesn't quite feel like enough to me. I agree with you, but because of that, and depending on how we see the results finish at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, you know, if he gags himself on the weekend, then he's not going to be as popular. If he wins, he's going to be even more popular and just continuing this train. I would say, as you mentioned, the very top of the board tends to historically, you know, those guys win, but a lot of those guys miss the cut at the same time, that if Rom is the overwhelming top-owned player on DraftKings in the big millionaire contest this week, that fading him is, or, or just even using a lower exposure to him, not being all-in on Rom, actually makes more sense at a course like this where you can blow up very quickly and there's nothing you can really do about it, and at a course that is so short that the potential for the bottom of the field to compete, not necessarily win, but compete is there. So there's going to be such a lean to use Rom and go down and look at 6,600 and be like, oh, I can use that guy. He's not bad. Uh, normally, he's you know at a huge disadvantage at Torrey Pines and Riviera because he only hits the ball 270 off the tee. That's not a problem here. You can get away with that. Absolutely. I would agree with you there. There are probably 80 to 90% of the stops on PGA tour. Where it feels like the floor, like the worst possible performance when John Rahm is playing like this is what, like 12th to 15th place. Like here, there is an Avenue where he could potentially miss the cut. He catches a bad weather wave. He hits a couple in the water. Like this is one of those random spots where we see the top end player. I know it was Rory a couple of years ago where everyone, everything is clicking for that player. They show up here and they're packing their bags on Friday. Well, Rory's number two, he's $11,000 and it hasn't been quite as good of a run. 
for Rory so far in yeah, at least this year compared to Rom and Scheffler. Yes, he does have a win. Yes, it did come in the Middle East, but he beat Patrick Reed and that made everyone very happy. But it hasn't really looked all that good so far on the PGA Tour. Again, uh, I, the last time I'm going to say this, and now we're just going to speak as what results that we have. The Arnold Palmer Invitational has not concluded yet. Rory, as we speak, is right around the cut line. He's not running away. He's not running away with it or playing really well like Scheffler and Rom are. But I don't want to have to mention that every time that we talk about someone. 32nd in Phoenix, a tournament he doesn't really play in all that often. Whatever. It's an elevated event. He just... It, seemed to throw him out of his rhythm, and that was coming off a win in the Middle East. And then he plays the Genesis, a tournament where he generally plays really well, and you can see the approach was lockstep, around the green was great, couldn't drain a putt to save his life, T29. And I think that Rory, even with a very poor finish, it's funny that Rory can work this way, that if he finishes poorly and misses a cut or comes in like 35th and the other two guys that he's priced with do really well, it's not going to drive anyone away from Rory, who's won this event in the past. Everyone just lo- People want to get behind Rory so badly that whether he's playing the best or the worst, it doesn't seem to affect his ownership ever. Absolutely. People will always gravitate toward Rory McIlroy. The one thing, and I hope that he does make the cut this week because I'm interested to look at some of his putting numbers and listening to his presser this week. He seemed very happy, Pat, to be back in Florida and off of Poa grass. <laughs> um, so I'll be interested to look because that's really where he struggled. You you had the graphic up there just a minute ago. He's in he's not even in the top 100 in strokes game putting in the last 24 rounds. The other spot where he's been struggling is to hit fairways. He's I have him 123rd in the last 36 rounds in terms of um, fairways gained. Now, he can mitigate that with some of his distance, although this is a course that I don't think always plays into that. So those are the two concerns with me for Rory right now. Is he going to be able to club down and hit enough fairways? One and two, can we see a little bit of a positive um, improvement in terms of the putting? Hopefully this weekend through Arnold Palmer, those will be the things I'm paying close attention to when it comes to factoring in a Rory decision. Scheffler is next at $10,600. Obviously, he won in Phoenix. Uh, Seems like he's going to give it a go, even in the bad weather wave at Bay Hill. He does not have a great history at the Players' Championship. He's only played it twice. He's missed a cut and come 55th. Lost a bunch on approach last year. Again, he got caught in some of the bad weather. Guys that got out early that weren't in contention who made the cut ended up in the worst part of the weather. I think that he's most clearly going to be the lowest owned of the big three, unless he ends up winning uh, at Bay Hill, which is going to be very tough. But I, I don't know. What do you make of Scheffler in Florida at this course? Because obviously he wins in Texas. He wins in Phoenix. He, he wins in Georgia at the Masters. He almost won Colonial in Texas. But Florida's never really been his jam outside of Bay Hill a year ago. Or is that he has such a small sample that we shouldn't even be looking at this? It is a small sample. He only has two starts here. Obviously, the missed cut in the 55th aren't anything to write home about, but he does have that win at Bay Hill, which is encouraging to me. Um, I ran a quick stat model, Pat, this morning, and Scheffler rated out number one. I actually really like him, and I think it's an attractive price point. If, like you mentioned, if you want to fade the prevailing narrative, if the ownership is all there with John Rahm, you can get $1,200 savings on probably the number two or three player in the world, Scotty Scheffler, at a tournament where we see increased variability. I think this is a spot that could make sense for him he's number one in greens and regulation gain you see this numbers there in terms of ball striking par four scoring is always extremely important around here Um, a lot of it comes down when he can gain with the putter and and maybe be very proficient around the greens um, he's as good as anybody on tour right now and and damn near close to John Rahm I like Scotty this week 
Uh, I'm going to update my stat model, but I just pulled mine up on fantasynational.com. Fantasynational.com slash mayo to go build your own. Do your own research on this stuff. That's all the trend on the internet anyway. Doing your own research. And you can do that <laughs> with fantasynational.com slash mayo, okay? Uh, Scheffler's fifth in mind for what I have rated. I need to tweak this. And in just complete transparency, and Joe, I don't know how you are about this, but the players, since I hit Martin Keimer as an 80 to one winner here, I feel like this money has taken all, or this tournament has taken all of my money every single year. I just get it wrong. I have, I'm laughing because I have my notes up from year to year. And two years ago, I wrote, do not bet this shit show. Um, I won't listen to my notes. I will bet it. I will play DraftKings lineups, but you can see, I can just see in my notes year over year how frustrated I was at the end of this tournament and how much money that I poured into TPC Sawgrass. Xander Shoffley is up next. And uh, speaking of that stat model, he rates out fourth for me. Uh, coming into play right now he's kind of having a bit of an under the radar season not even really under the radar because people still want him to play really well but a 33rd at the genesis a 10th in phoenix a 13th at the farmers a third at the american express and he had that injury that forced him to withdraw from kapalua but his course history here is insane he came second in his debut and hasn't made a cut since Xander is one of these guys that is historically very popular, regardless of the tournament that he's in. So do you think this is an issue where people get off of him or if he just plays a little bit well at Bay Hill that's like, oh, yeah, here's the here's the guy I can get all my savings on. Or is it just, hey, Max Homa's the next guy. I'll use Max Homa. Yeah, I think home was creeping right down his neck. I think that Scheffler only $600 more is worth consideration, who I think sets up much better here for me. Look, second opportunities gain. It's been frustrating, Pat, watching Xander because it seems like he has a ton of really good birdie looks and just isn't converting. And this was always sort of the frustration level, particularly down the stretch at tournaments previously with Xander. Um, I'm sort of seeing it again now. Now he was on that stretch through the fall where all of a sudden he started making putts. He started winning. He started hoisting trophies. Um, I have a little bit of concern in some of the course history. I'm completely writing last year off, but the two missed cuts prior to that, which makes it three in a row is a, is a concerning point for me on Xander. Um, especially as you mentioned, when you have a player like Homa who seems to show up everywhere right now and play really well, right below him in the pricing. So Homa is $9,900. It's funny. I went on your show and we discussed Max Homa versus Justin Thomas. And I almost found myself into a conundrum this week where I said 100 times out of 100, I would bet Justin Thomas at the same number as Max Homa. And I almost bet Max Homa at a worse number than Justin Thomas this week. I didn't do that. I didn't bet either of them. But it started to play in my mind, like, how much is recency bias playing in my mind? But Max Homa has been incredible so far this season like it's truly like he's leveled up a bit whereas someone like Justin Thomas who is a former players champion is you know he's struggling with the driver right now and you know with different parts of his game but we take a look at the recent form for Max Homa second at the Genesis won the Farmers third at the Century and 40th in Phoenix and to take a look at his players he's played it twice missed the cut came 13th hasn't gained on the greens at this course do you worry that there are specific players that putt better on these trickier sawgrass putting surfaces or is that just complete variance that he could go out and do what he does when we take a look back 11.3 on the greens 2.2 4.6 4.5 that we just expect him to make putts uh, a little bit of both. So to answer your first question, yes, I actually did look at strokes game putting, particularly at Sawgrass. He doesn't rank well. I'll tell you that it's 89, but he's been such 
he's not the same putter, right? He's so good right now. He's so confident right now. Um, the other sort of concerning point, if you're looking for maybe something to to knock down Max a notch, doesn't play very well on Pete Dye courses. Now, I don't know how much to glean from that, but I have him 115th in my rankings in terms of um, just strokes gain total on Pete Dye courses. So that's a little bit concerning as well. But like you mentioned, look, I don't think there's, Oftentimes, I don't feel like there's enough recency bias in golf. Any other sport in the world, if the Patriots go out and win five in a row, they're vaulting up the power rankings, right? We we think of them as a top-tier team all of a sudden at that point versus someone like Justin Thomas, who's taken a couple losses in a row. I just feel like sometimes we're slower to make those assessments in golf than maybe we need to be, and we just have to realize that Max Homa, if you're looking at the last 100 rounds, isn't the same player than he is over the last last 24 rounds and he's showing up everywhere impressed with what he's doing at Bay Hill right now. And he just continues to keep it going and prove that, that he's got to be a force to be reckoned with in terms of the top players in the world. There is something I have noticed even listen, obviously he wins in California a ton and the other courses that he actually has victories at are all, I want to say classical design courses and they're all a little bit longer. So you have Torrey Pines, you have Quail Hollow, and you you have the at Riviera for the Genesis. Like, I feel like those courses have a lot in common. And it's funny that he's never really performed that much in the major championships because Augusta would kind of be the ultimate crossover of all of those courses. But as you mentioned, the Pete Dye courses typically are not long. They just kind of mess around with your sight lines. If home is going to be one of the top, let's say, three owned guys, and I don't know if that's going to be the case, but shaping up that way as we speak right now, would you feel comfortable full fade on Max Homa? Uh, if he's in the top three, yes. Just because I think given what we mentioned earlier in terms of the variability of this, um, I think there's other options around him where if you can have a decent 10% ownership savings, you can go to. All right. Well, how about Patrick Cantley at $9,700, who started out pretty well at the Players' Championship in his first two starts. Hasn't seen the weekend in his past three, but it seems like he's starting to get his game rallied a little bit back in form right now. A very good finish at Riviera. Uh, Hopefully he ends up with a decent finish at Bay Hill. Uh, There has been a lot of just conjecture about how he doesn't really putt well in this part of the country it is on those where Rory hates the bumpier Poa greens Cantley loves the pump the bumpier Poa greens that's where he does his best work on and around the greens and really the only time I've seen him spike in this part of the country unless I'm completely forgetting about it is the year that he last year when he lost or two years ago last year two years ago when he lost in the playoff to Spieth at the Heritage he's played well at the Heritage in the past but that's really it yeah, there was one event, and I think you may have had it, and I may have had it, where it was, um, was it Hadwin at Valspar? Yep, and he came second there. You're right. Okay, and that, so and that was, was like, but that was, that, that, that was 2016. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going back a ways. You mentioned three straight uh, missed cuts here as well, like with Xander, not a good thing. But on the flip side of what I talked about with Homa in terms of not playing Pete Dye courses very well, um, Patrick Cantlay plays them great. He's second uh, versus Homa, who's 115th. He is playing well at Bay Hill in a spot where I don't think many people expected much out of him this week, um, which is kind of rare because of the caliber player that he is. But there's sort of this narrative that he doesn't like Florida. He doesn't like hard golf courses. Um, he may be disproving that a little bit this 
this week. We'll have to wait and see how the weekend plays out. But, uh, you know, very good on Pete Dye, making it gives himself a ton of opportunities and great looks for Birdie. Uh, 9,700 seems like a very fair price for the player that Patrick Cantlay is. So if Homa becomes a casualty potentially of ownership here, do you think that you would gravitate more towards Cantlay or one of the other guys below him who, in my mind, I actually like a lot better? Yeah, so it's funny you mentioned that. And I think that what happens the rest of this weekend is going to have a lot to do with where the ownership comes in because with Cantlay playing so well and someone like Morikawa not playing very well, could be headed very well for a missed cut. Um, oh. I actually like Colin in a nice bounce back spot here. He ranks second in the model that I ran. Um, the numbers are fantastic in terms of greens and regulation, in terms of strokes gain approach, which is one of the more important factors here. And he hits more fairways, Pat, than anyone else that you have on the board right there. Uh, which I think is going to be proved to be key at TPC Sawgrass because you find yourself in the short grass, you give yourself angles into these greens, you give yourself opportunities to avoid disaster and avoid the water and avoid double bogey. And I think it could be a good bounce back spot for him at a low, lower ownership because of his performance the last couple of weeks. You know me. I never need to be sold on Colin Morikawa. He's my guy. And I'm with you. I'm going to go down with the Morikawa ship either way, unless for whatever reason I take a look at the wind splits in his tee time. I'm like, "Eh." although that was the reason I got on him last year. And then, of course, he ended up in the bad tee time. So maybe I should just go with it. But I agree with you. He's played well at selected Pete Dye tracks in the past. And whether he makes the cut or misses the cut this week, Unless he ends up making the cut and then rallying up the board, I don't think it's going to affect him either way. It does seem like people love to shit on Morikawa every time he doesn't play well. And none of the other players that I consider elite seem to suffer that same fate. Like, I even threw it out. I, I need Morikawa to make the cut at Bay Hill. And the first thing I got back was, well, he's just a track man golfer. It's like, I don't even know what the fuck that means, for one thing. But this is also a guy who's won two majors before 25, and he won an open championship. So I think he can deal with the conditions. Yeah, and I think everyone right now, there is a weird narrative surrounding Colin Morikawa that he's not the player that we know him to be. Um, I was even looking at the odds to to just win a major this year, and he's got worse odds than like Spieth and these other players. So um, I think it's time that he sort of reinserts himself. Had he won Tournament of Champions, I think we'd be in a different spot right now. Um I think he sets up great for this course as as he does pretty much at any course. It's just going to come down to what it always does with him and if he can have a good week with the putter. And to look at it, like when you go and take a look at what he does historically and take a look at his best putting performances. So he's gained more in weighted events. He has gained more than 3.2 strokes putting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times in his career. He's never finished worse than second in any of those. So if it's a week where he's putting, he's probably going to win. Yeah. He can chip. I I do know uh, from fact, though, he can chip himself out of a tournament. I've seen that. But I've also seen certain tournaments where he's amazing around the greens. It's really strange. Yeah, it is. Um, he could. He that's what happened at Tournament of Champions, where he sort of chunked a couple of chips there, left himself in tough spots. I think it's a confidence thing for him. I think that it can that type of stuff can quickly turn. And as we've seen, like at Concession, um, he's had success on these type of greens before, and especially in Florida, I think that he can do it again. So Justin Thomas is next. He's ninety four hundred dollars. Uh, obviously, he won this tournament two years ago. He's Justin Thomas. He's an amazing player, but we haven't seen. 
the amazing part of him. I mean, in Phoenix, he was good, but he was out of it and rallied on Sunday. It was almost like a Matt Kuchar top five, where he had zero chance of ever actually winning the tournament. But you look at the numbers and you look at the finish, you're like, oh, he came fourth. That's fantastic. Ditto with the Farmers. He was kind of there on day one, and he just went away. And we've been seeing that more and more. A bad century, an okay genesis that was mainly predicated on chipping and putting. The driver has become a real problem. Now, you said that guys are more apt to take out their driver this time of year in March at the Players' Championship. But is this a spot where if he can just rein it in a little bit, not necessarily have to hit driver, just let the irons take over and try to make some putts, which is what he does his best? Yeah, I've been relatively low on Justin Thomas all year. This week I took him. He got to that magic number, I think, of 30 to 1, where it feels like he's a little bit value. He's struggling once again. Look, I worried about some of the approach numbers, which was always his strength for so long, had started to sort of deteriorate. I saw them come back at the Farmers. I saw them come back at Phoenix. And then all of a sudden at Genesis, he loses strokes on approach three out of four rounds, which was, again, concerning for me. Um, Number one over the last 36 rounds, though, strokes gained total at this course. You mentioned when he won, it was a it was a huge come from behind victory where I think it was it was I want to say Bryson and like Westwood in the final group there. And Justin Thomas just tore apart the back nine. That's what he tends to do on some of these victories that he's had is he can have that sort of Sunday charge. And he has that second gear in him when he really gets it going. Um, Hopefully he can make the cut this week so we can have a little bit more data points to sort of point to a pro or con on him. I've been relatively low, but I do feel like this could be a nice price point and expect to bounce back soon because we know that the, the caliber player that Justin Thomas is. Would you imagine that Morikawa and Thomas come in far lesser owned, obviously, than Homa? Homa will most definitely be higher owned. Do you think that between Cantlay, Morikawa, and Thomas, and hell, we'll even throw Tony Finau into this mix as well at $9,200. If you had to rank the ownership on those three from most to least, what do you think that the order goes in? I think it would go Cantlay. Thomas, Finau, Morikawa. I think Morikawa comes in the least owned just based on what we've seen the last couple of weeks. And I think the like we mentioned, the narrative that uh, there's some struggles and some demons in the game right now. That's what I'm hopeful for because I want to play Colin. Um, and I'm not the the sharpest in terms of ownership, especially this far out. A lot of it's going to probably depend on the weather, but that's how I would rank the four of them. You got much different there? No, that's probably where I would go. I think you can put Finau ahead of Thomas, depending on how they both finish this weekend, but that's a coin flip at this point okay. when we're talking. I do find it funny that Morikawa is dealing with demons. Morikawa is not as good as we think. The guy's played four tournaments this year. He's come second, third, sixth, and missed a cut. <laughs> I know. Like It's crazy. It is. And do you think that concession is a decent look here? Because it did feel like at concession, the one time that they played the course in lieu of playing at uh, Chipotlepec uh, for the Mexico championship, that a lot of shorter hitters actually did end up doing really well there. I remember Billy Ho was in the mix, and that was one of those weeks where, you know, if Morikawa got it to 10 feet, he made every putt, just like when he won the Open Championship. You got him, you know, nine feet for par, he made it. And you just hope that's yeah. one of these weeks. I do think so. Um, Similar greens, any courses, anyone who comes to Florida and plays golf will tell you that it's a little bit different here. 
not a lot of guys play the Honda Classic as we know anymore, so we don't get much from there. Bay Hill is long and tough, and this place is right around 7,200 yards. You have the four par fives, which are extremely gettable. Um, so I think anytime you see a player that has had success recently in the past uh, around this region of the country, you can kind of look to that as definitely a pro. So Finau is sitting there again at $9,200. It's been a decent year for him. The stats would indicate that he is amazing, but the results have not come to fruition whatsoever. And this has not been a great tournament for Tony over the years. He's played it six times, never finished better than 22nd, missed the cut four of six times. It's no different than when he had come into Phoenix that year that he lost in the playoff to Webb, and he had missed all every cut he had ever played in four starts in Phoenix, and all of a sudden he's in the playoff. Again, I don't want to look too much at course history because of that, but it's interesting to see he's had some very poor putting performances at this course, and this doesn't feel uh, weirdly like Homa. The longer the course, the better for those guys. There are some guys who you don't necessarily, and listen, we mm. think of Tony as a bomber, but there are some bombers that actually just play a lot better on shorter courses and some bombers who can't figure out how to dial in their game and rein in their game for a more strategic opportunity. Like Bryson has always been really good. Not that Bryson is here, that he played shorter courses really, really well. He obviously played longer ones well at the same time, but be it the players or heritage, wherever it may be, Bryson was able to figure out his game and calculate his way around this course where Finau just seems like he has no feel for the type of shorter courses that we're seeing at the players and some of these other Pete Dye tracks. Yeah, that's an interesting point on some of the feel. And I think some of the feel for him, a lot of it comes down to the putter, right? We see this. That's why he got so hot in the fall was he got really confident with the putter, started making some 25 to 30 foot putts and consistently making that 10 foot range. He seems to be a bit on the struggle bus again in terms of some of the chipping and putting around the greens. The T to green numbers are always going to be fantastic. But kind of when you look at when you had mentioned it, some of the course history here of anyone over $9,000 in DraftKings this week, he has the lowest strokes gain total number numbers at TPC Sawgrass. So it hasn't been a fond spot for him. I worry that some of the, the, around the green and putting numbers have started to slip a little bit. We know he's always going to be good at his strengths, but you know, at this price point, when you have those other guys around him, I think that at this point they hold a good bit more win equity. If you're trying to, you know, search for that first place finish in one of the big GPP contests. Well, there's one more player in the nine thousands. It's Sung J M who almost the opposite of Tony Finau loves short Bermuda courses. These are his jam. And as we kind of take a look at how he's done at the players over the course of his career, he has, let's see here, three appearances, 55th, 17th, and a miscut. It really hasn't done very well for him, which is really surprising based on the accuracy that he can possess off the tee. It just has never clicked all in the same tournament for him. But I would imagine unless we see something out of Victor Zalatoris, and I don't know if this is a spot for them, if Spieth ends up with a good week, Fitzpatrick, that the next guys on the list in terms of DraftKings pricing, I don't feel like are compelling enough to get people off of Sungjae, and that Sungjae just inherently is going to be very popular. Yeah, it seems those like, I don't know, it seems to me like those guys who are even at like 9,000 or 8,000 even send, tend to like just draw your eye to them. Um, he's that guy, and I liked him anyways this week. I love the fact that he plays Florida a lot. He played the Honda. He's playing Bay Hill, and he's going here, so it will be his third sort of stop. Number one in bogey avoidance. We know that um, that's one of his strengths, and he plays a lot of these shorter courses, Pat, where um, you have – 
sometimes more difficult scoring conditions because of the amount of trouble there is, the amount of doubles there are, um, especially when you sort it by difficult scoring conditions. He's even better in terms of avoiding bogey. That number from sort of 150 to 175 yards as well, he's very proficient at. I've noticed since they sort of shifted this to a different spot in the schedule, we're getting more numbers sort of come from that proximity range. So that's another thing that I'm kind of looking at as well as the course has played much softer over the last couple of years. Now we haven't gotten a lot of rain in Florida. It's been windy. It's been dry. So it could be a little bit different this year. Um, but I think Sung Jay sets up really well here, especially if you're going to go all the way up to the top and start with a Ram or Rory, you probably come down here to maybe Sung Jay is your second guy, which in turn probably, Probably leads to some increased ownership numbers of all of the players that we've talked about so far we obviously haven't made any picks but i want to talk through all of this beforehand it sounds like we both like morikawa i mean that's no spoiler for this show and big shocker <laughs> that we're promoting morikawa like we do every week starting to think that rom might just be the play <laughs> Yeah, gosh, it's tough every week, and I don't like to bet the top of the board. I usually am not a I highest price I, I, guy. I, I don't, I don't care about betting. I think betting in DraftKings and constructing your lineup is completely different. I'm not going to bet John Rahm at six to one to win the Players Championship. But as the as the anchor of my DraftKings lineup, especially because you can go stars and scrubs, no problem with your roster construction. Yeah. Like, who do you feel better about than John Rahm? There's nobody. There's nobody I felt better about in the last probably three years than the way John Rahm's playing right now. Do you think he can keep You have to go going? back to like Dustin during the, like the Masters run of like a guy that's been at the peak of his game and just sort of elevated from like first to second there to create this sort of gap. Um especially if he does it again this week. Like the guy is just a runaway train right now and it's it's tough to imagine him stopping. He's got the approach play so dialed in like you had spoken about um and that was always maybe the one hint of weakness and they're really he's getting all the breaks right now so it's tough to say anything bad about John. Yeah, I, I don't think they have a lot of fences around the, the water traps <laughs> at Sawgrass, and maybe his ball will actually roll into the water or go OB at some point, yeah. but uh, that hasn't happened as of yet. The ricochets. Hey, good golfers get good breaks. Isn't that the way that it goes? That's the way it goes, man. If you And if you're on TV all the time, you see we get to see all those breaks versus we don't necessarily see all the breaks that uh, Brendan Todd or Keegan Bradley get throughout a round. So we like Rom. Probably the best of the 10K guys. No surprise there. And listen, as long as he's a part, unless everything doesn't conspire against him, I'm in. Morikawa seems to be both of our favorites from the nine. You like Sung Jay as well. Is there anyone else in that mix that you can really see going hard at? I can see Scotty. I, I like Rom, but I honestly, Pat, I can see myself right now, you know, on the weekend before the players championship, probably not going Rom and taking my chances with Scotty and saving 1200 bucks there just because I feel like I can get a little bit deeper in the middle of my lineup with some of these guys in the 8K range that we're coming up on to maybe add a few more of those. Victor Hovland is next on the list at $8,900. It's been a really weird year for Big Dick Vic. 20th at the Genesis, 42nd in Phoenix. He played Pebble. He came 13th. He was 18th at the Century, even going back to last year, 10th, 21st, 5th. He did win that like Jabroni Tiger tournament with like eight people in it. But the chipping has... Not that it hasn't always been a problem for Victor Hovland, but you see a big sea of red on Fantasy National right here. And what's that? Those are strokes lost around the green. Now, 
Sawgrass is a little bit different than other courses because you don't necessarily have to chip in a lot of spots at Sawgrass. You can choose to use the old Texas wedge out there, which is why I think that Heritage does play a bit of a factor when you're looking at or around the green play. But the problem is not a lot of these guys don't play Heritage. That Remember the year that Stuart Sink beat Morikawa at Heritage? I don't think that Stu, yeah. Stu Manji pulled out his wedge the entire round uh, in the final round. He just took out his putter and putted everything from off the green. You're right. You can absolutely do that. And in a lot of spots, there's really very, there's like a yard of rough and then you're in the water essentially off the green. So there's not a whole lot of chipping. There is a good bit of bunkers in play, but um, greens, I think are like 5,500 square feet on average, which is not huge, but it is big for a course that can play if they move the tees up on a few holes, sub 7,200 yards. So um, I think it can be a good spot for Vic, you know, top 10, I believe last year, but there's concerns with his game all the way around and a lack of consistency lately is not necessarily someone that I'm, I'm initially drawn to here on the board. Okay, Will Zalatoris is $100 less at $8,800. Played the players twice, top 30 finishes both times. Shockingly enough, couldn't putt at TPC Sawgrass. The ball striking, immaculate. Does this depend on conditions for big Zalatoris here? in order to get a victory or come inside the top five, that if this ends up becoming a shootout in great conditions, like we've seen at the players over time, where the winning score is like minus 18, minus 19, that he probably doesn't have a chance of winning that event. However, if it's windy and guys are making bogeys and the winning score is like minus 11, that is more of the Will Z score? So... In general, I don't really subscribe to that narrative often because how, I feel how like dare you? Is just... How dare you disagree with me on my own show, Joe? This well, here, you, let me let me finish. This is why you're here to push back. Relative. This is why you're here it's to push just about it's it's about how you know the guys play against all the rest of the players in the field. So par in the end of the score minus ten only matters if it's a par seventy two. If it's a par seventy, it's a little bit different. But Will Zalatoris, in particular himself, has said this. He's come out and said it on multiple podcasts that I don't want it to be minus eighteen. I don't want it to be minus twenty. I feel much better when the tournament is minus five or minus six. Um, all that said, I'm completely out on Zalatoris right now. Since the injury, he's gone through swing changes. I still feel like he's elevated and he doesn't um, doesn't win enough for me. I'm just uh, and this could go totally wrong as it usually always does. He ranks third in my model. I'm going to plug my nose and ignore it. And I'm just not playing Will Z right now. Ooh, that's interesting. That's what I like to hear. I mean, I'm I'm a slut for Zalatoris. And <laughs> if, if it does look like it's going to be windier condition or it's going to be a very difficult go, that I, I think that just, I don't like anyone else in this range is the problem. Like, I, I can't really peg down who I like. And, you know, that's why I want to talk to you. And I want to talk to everyone. I'm looking at the numbers right now. Obviously, the numbers are telling me that Will Zalatoris is awesome. He is going through the swing change. But it seemed like once he came back from the injury and the swing change, he gets to Riviera and all of a sudden, problem solved in terms of driving and chipping and mm -hmm. hitting his irons and again he's he has a pretty good short game it's it's just it's not even the long putts it is the three foot putt that is sinking this guy yeah i know um and, and you're right there were definitely strides at riviera there were definitely signs even at at century early in the year where some of the ball striking numbers look to have returned um i just I struggle to trust him, man. It's it's I have trust issues with Will Z, so I'm out for the time being. So, but it doesn't that sound like the type of player that we should be trusting this week? Because we want to find. We talked about you know, how variant this tournament can be. How the best guys end up missing the cut. Everyone is just going to gravitate towards making the quote unquote safest lineup in a tournament yeah. 
at a course where there is no safety. So why not embrace that type of guy? And maybe it blows up in your face and you're looking at a plus 10 after two days and you're like, well, you know, I lose money here every year anyway. What's the difference? But if it's someone that you don't have all that great of conviction on, I mean, that might be my strategy this year. It's like, who are the guys that I'm kind of wishy-washy on? I'll just use them. Yeah, I, you have to pay attention to ownership, right? It's going to be key, especially in this event in terms of building because of the variability, like you mentioned. But I just feel like I'm sort of in an anomaly there. Who do, like I feel like a lot of people are going to see 8,000 starting price on Will Zalatoris, 8,800, and they're going to go there. So I feel like I'm kind of on the opposite of that. And I do feel like he probably soaks up a lot of this ownership in this area when you have Hovland, when you have Spieth and Fitzpatrick, who we're about to talk about next, who have their concerns as well. I do feel like he's going to get that ownership and that's where i'm gonna i'm gonna exit we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this curse carved it in the blood on our backs we did not see we could not but she did and in the end what will i become Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Spieth is next. Spieth debuted with a fourth place finish at the Players' Championship, and he has been awful at this tournament ever since. I think it's seven years in a row, no finish better than 44th. And when you take a look at his underlying numbers right now and just the strokes gain numbers, yeah, 41st, sorry, was his best finish in 2018. Missed the cut last year, 48th. It's been a bad go for him. He hasn't really figured out these greens whatsoever. Did win Heritage a year ago. But when you look at his numbers, and this even translated through at least round one of Bay Hill, the approach numbers are starting to creep back. Like they were great at the Tour Championship, swing season to start the season. They were just absolute dog shit. At Phoenix, the iron started firing. At the Genesis, they were really good as well. The putter hasn't come along yet, but maybe it maybe it won't, and that's the problem. But I just I have a what the issue for me is with Spieth, that is if he's hitting his irons well and he's not hitting the ball in the water, and the driving has been okay. It's been like field average, which I think is fine for a tournament like this. Mm -hmm. You want great approach play, you want great putting, and the ability to save yourself around the green. That's never going to be a problem for Jordan Spieth, getting it up and down out of difficult situations or even easy situations. But the putter, the moment you don't think that Jordan Spieth is going to putt, and that's the reason that you don't play him, is when he's walking in 50-footers. I know. Um, (laughs) I love the approach play, like you mentioned. Actually, at Phoenix, I believe that was the best strokes gain approach performance of his entire career. A lot of his wins have been predicated by a great approach week. Um, At Heritage, you know, he missed the cut at the Masters the week before, which was disappointing. But right before that, he had like the third best approach week of his career at Valero. Some of his wins earlier in his career have also been predicated. Right before the win came a great approach week. It gives me some... You know, it, it gives me a little bit of hope for Spieth this week. He's actually playing pretty well so far at Bay Hill. I have hope, but I'm also like this entire top of the 8K range. I'm probably like more comfortable going to the bottom of the 8K range and more confident in those guys. He's lost strokes putting. What is this? Seven of the last nine tournaments that he's played in. Um, it's clearly a problem right now, and this isn't necessarily the spot I expect it to get right. I like Spieth at $8,700. Throwing that out there right now, and I do not think that people are going to play him because, listen, if we're saying course history is irrelevant, I'm not going to take that into consideration. And if the approach play is getting better for him, that I'm just, you know, a coin flip situation, although it's probably worse than a coin flip, as you just pointed out, losing stroke seven of nine. But 
I know Spieth can lead the field in putting at the same time. That, mm-hmm. that sounds like a pretty good recipe for me for the 7% Jordan Spieth who wins this tournament or comes second. He doesn't need to win. And Rom's probably going to win. So who, who's fighting for second? He feels like one of those guys. He feels like he could be in the mix. Absolutely. And if there is something, if he does, is able to turn around the putting, the approach and the irons are extremely dialed in right now, which which seems to me like that gives him confidence. Like when he's struggling with the irons, he's mentally a wreck out there. Um, now that he has that dialed in, hopefully he can sort of figure out this range from like five to 15 feet. And if he can do so, he will be in contention, I think, at the players. Well, it's funny because you want his irons to be so good that he gets it like within that five foot circle because he'll make those more or less. Or you want his approaches to not be as like mediocre because you said you don't want him in that like five to 20 range. I feel more. It's like a lot like Zalatoris in a weird way. I feel more comfortable with Spieth making putts from 40 feet than I do 19 feet now. Yeah, or like just chipping in from right <laughs> off the green. <laughs> and that's the thing, because if his ownership is low, you know he's going to chip in at least five times, and people will just be like out of their minds tilting speed. Never fails. Next is Matthew Fitzpatrick, the reigning U.S. Open champion. He's been dealing with this neck injury now for well, since Pebble Beach. That's when the information came out uh, that it was going on. Do you worry about his neck? Because it seems like he's been fine i asked nathan hubbard about this when i was on fairway rolling with him on the ringer last week like is it a neck problem that's driving down like the top end performance he's just been very mediocre and nathan just kind of said kind of a major hangover at this point (laughs) yeah that actually probably makes more sense um him and hideki the next couple of guys on the board both dealing with these neck injuries but we've seen their performance go down ever since these sort of popped up so i wonder if there is a little bit more of a correlation there you know golf is one of those sports where we don't necessarily the players don't like to divulge too much in terms of an injury report or anything like that i'm looking at his course history here it's not great he had the top 10 in 2021 it's okay it's okay it's good enough course history right yeah it's good enough yep and then you look at his approach play basically since the St. Jude last year, when he came fifth, he has not gained strokes on approach in a tournament. Yeah, that's that. That's the major concern right there. Um, he does play really well on Pete Dye courses throughout his career. So the Heritage and, and some other ones, you know, I've got him top 10 in sort of Pete Dye, which is a plus for him. He doesn't make a lot of bogeys, so he avoids disaster. I think it, again, could come down to conditions, wave advantage, that type of situation in terms of before I make a decision on playing fits or not. Cam Young's next, $8,500. How do you feel about him at both Pete Dye and short courses? Um, so he had a couple of good performances last year at those short courses. I don't love Cam Young right now. Um, the putter in the around the green game has kind of gone sideways on him, which was one of his strengths last year. And what he was really doing well, you know, he has he can bomb it off the tee, but he was hitting a ton of fairways at, at Will Point last year where he was playing really well. Um, fairways gain number are, are below 115th in the field this week. Um, some of the proximity numbers are good for the ranges that I'm looking at. But um, he's just another guy right here where I'm out on right now until I see some positive signs because there's guys who are just a little bit down the board here, which I'm, I'm much higher on. 
to even to look at it of the correlation courses that we talked about you can see that he was third at the heritage last year great ball striking performance but just a lot of red and the putting and around the green like you mentioned the the off the tee is never going to be an issue the last time that he actually lost strokes off the tee was last year's players championship and that was the <laughs> only time actually no he did at the american express as well which coincidentally only gets weighted in terms of stats from the Pete Dye portion of that. He did make the cut. So it's two rounds worth of information at the Amex. The Nicholas course and La Quinta do not get qualified for stroke skin because there's no shot length at those courses. So yeah, I'm probably out on Cam Young as well. I just don't see enough spike in the putting to come around for him. It's funny, almost like Zalatoris, he almost seems better conditioned for these longer, harder, thick, rough courses, which kind of mitigates the field a little bit. Yep, it seems that way to me, too, as well with him. So I think uh, we'll pay attention to the wind with Cam Young this week. We'll pay attention to if we think the winning score is going to be between like minus five and seven under par. Or we're getting to 20 under par. Um, either way, I think that I'm I'm probably from my stance out on him this week. Hideki's next at $8,400. According to Tim Andercust, he is the 2020 Players Champion, although uh, that is not recognized by anyone outside of Tim Andercust. And he is another one who is dealing with a neck injury right now. This seems to like, be like perpetually a problem for Hideki. Did he withdraw from this? Was this the one where he withdrew last year because of the injury? Um, did he withdraw from the players last year? Let me pull yeah, it up. He doesn't have a 2022 finish. So yeah, this is the one where he, right. he withdrew uh, immediately before lock. Hideki, th- shout out Hideki tracker on Twitter, who uh, let us know that he was dealing with the, he, he translated like a Japanese interview that he He's like, yeah, I'm kind of hurt. I might not play. And it was like, all right, let's go with him on this. He's had some great performances here. He's had some poor performances here, but out of consistency at a tournament that almost lacks all consistency, he kind of has been one of the better guys. Yes, and I actually um, like some of the approach numbers that I've seen recently from Hideki. Three out of the last four pretty substantial gainers. At the Genesis, where he missed the cut, he gained strokes on approach. Um, Farmers was really good, made that Sunday charge where it kind of felt like he might win it there for a second on, you know, before the final guys had sort of teed off. He was making such a great run. Um, I think that we're getting to the point where we might be at a buy low spot for Hideki in both DraftKings um, and betting wise. It just feels like he's a much better player and he's got this run that I can see signs of. He just has to put it all together uh, for four consecutive days. And given the course history, like you mentioned, this feels like a spot where we could see him pop. Hatton's next $8,300. Does he have the temperament to deal with this course? I think so. He's dealing with Bay Hill pretty well. Bay Hill's tough, right? He's I didn't I didn't love him at like 20% ownership this week at Bay Hill. I think that comes down a little bit next week at the players just because he has such great history, but Bay Hill's equally as tough. There's equally as much water. Um I like Terrell. If I'm if I'm going to take a guy based on short game and around the green game and the ability to get up and down, like he feels like kind of the new Spieth where everything is up and in, um, where Spieth is struggling right there. If Hatton is around the green, he's making no worse than par. Um, he's been great in Florida in the past. So I think it's a good spot for him and an attractive price point at $8,300. And he's with all of the least favorite players on tour going to live. Hatton, I mean, I love Hatton, but he does seem to be one of the players now that the general public really doesn't like, which just kills your, like, it is good for like five to 10 points of ownership on DraftKings every week if people don't like you. 
yeah, the other Euro, the Polters and the Sergios are all gone. So now maybe uh, maybe he embraces a little bit of that hate. I, I do. You made a good point about the temperament. Like, I think it's a valid concern anytime you're talking Hatton. But um, I, I still think that he sets up really well. He's also awesome at Pete Dye courses. Top five there. Um, ranked seventh overall my model. Um, I like Hatton this week. Can I, I don't have it pulled up in front of me. I'm going to try to do this off the top of my head of the best uh, maybe we can play this family feud style. Do you have the top 10 strokes gain total leaders on Pete Dye courses in front of you? I do. You're not going to believe who's number one. Siwoo. No. Siwoo Kim is not in the top 10. What? This is No, this is the last 36 rounds on Pete Dye. Well, he has two wins Caveat. at a Pete Dye course over that time. Yeah, I don't know. Strokes gain total. The number one player is and this is this is Keegan Bradley. No, fourth. He's fourth. I, I know Keegan's good on Pete Dye courses. Who would it be? Is it is it like okay? Is it a bomber? Was it's just that I think he never plays Pete Dye anymore. So we're pulling really old stats. I know. Who and is he's it? in the DraftKings field. Who is it? Tiger Woods. Oh yeah, of course he is. <laughs> Kind of unfair. Yeah. yeah. His last 36 rounds at Pete Dye may be going back to like the mid 2000s. So you say Hatton's up there. I would guess that Cantlay is up there as well. Yep. Hatton is up there. Cantlay is number two. Brian Harmon is actually number three. Keegan, Rom, Lowry, Fleetwood, um, M, Hatton, and Adam Scott. Ooh, Adam Scott uh, t- turned on the Jets a little bit at the at Bay Hill. He's won the players championship, albeit like 20 years ago at this point. This used to be a spot, crazily enough, where like you'd get your aging veteran guy who would potentially, this would be his big win. Like this is Matt Kuchar's biggest win of his career is winning the players championship. Tim Clark, Henrik Stenson, until he ended up winning a major. This was always the thing that we pointed to that and Eastlake winning the tour championship. These guys that were considered to be great players. Maybe that's why you can almost look at Finau uh, or Xander in that. It's like, if you never think they're going to win a major, maybe they'll end up winning a players championship or it was the breakthrough spot for a lot of guys. Scott broke through here. Sergio broke through through here. Ricky Fowler ended up breaking Ricky, through. Yep. Like, those are the ones that really come to your mind outside of the great players that have also won at this event. Like, yes, Webb Simpson won a U.S. Open over a decade ago, but of the last 10 years, since he's, like, evolved back into being a really great player, this is going to be his biggest win, isn't it? Oh, for Webb? Yeah. Yes, yes. This is going to be his biggest win. I don't see him turning it around anytime soon. Um, yeah, you mentioned a great breakthrough spot. I think Siwoo. it really rewards. I mean, Siwoo is one of those guys, too. He won it, what, 21? That's what I was going to say. It rewards aggressive play. Um, if you want to win this tournament, like if we're talking DraftKings and you're looking for guys to top 10, okay. If you want to win this tournament, you have to play really boldly and really aggressively. Almost all the players recently have commented on that, and especially the move into March allows them to, to bring in a little bit more driver because it's not quite as firm. You can play out of the rough a little bit easier. Um, and Siwoo is the classic example of he's playing to win or he's going to miss the cut. Like he he's when he's in contention, um he's looking at every single flag stick like ricky was you know he had to play 17 what like seven times that one year and he was just sticking it at that far right pin placement so um aggressive play is absolutely rewarded almost at any pete die course but i think accentuated here at sawgrass 
Lowry is up next on the list, and he is another one that you mentioned that ranks really highly on Pete Dye courses. Dude just legitimately can't putt because the Tita Green numbers are out of this world good recently. Yes, I think this is a good spot for him. I like Lowry as well. I really like the bottom of this 8K range, which is why, um, you know, I kind of mentioned it off the top, why I was looking to maybe save a little bit off ROM and stack a couple of these guys. Uh, I He played the Honda. I followed him for many holes and in a couple of days there, and he was really solid tee to green. You mentioned there were some putting struggles, but he also made a couple of long ones. I think that he's close right now. I think he's one of the most proficient sand players and scramblers on the PGA Tour. He's an unbelievable chipper. Um, if he can just turn around the putter, I think he'll be in good shape. And I think having a couple of weeks of prep now on these Florida uh, slick, fast, 12, 13 on the stint meter Bermuda grass greens that these guys face um, should set up well for him to maybe have a good bit of bounce back there. Uh, he's made four or five cuts at the Wyndham Championship, including a seventh in his career. Obviously, he's played Honda really well, came fifth this year, came second the year before that, was in the mix at Heritage, I think the past two years as well, on these Bermuda-style greens, on these Bermuda-style courses, the shorter courses, and 13th and 8th the past two years of the player. He actually sounds like a bet to me, because his number is probably going to be pretty yeah. deflated. Yeah, you can probably get him in the 60 to 70 to 1 range, if not higher, like he was this week at Bay Hill. And he's gained on the greens at Sawgrass three of the past four years. And when we take a look at his overall performance of just in general, uh, lost at Honda, lost at Genesis, lost in Phoenix, lost at the CJ Cup, lost at the BMW. Hmm. Good, good at St. Jude, which are Bermuda in Memphis, aren't they? Uh, I believe so, yes. Uh, at the Wyndham, unfortunately, he lost almost, he lost over seven strokes putting uh, to come 83rd but I just don't think that he was in the tournament really and he was just like ah get me out of here let's go to the playoffs and, and obviously that didn't work out too well because he didn't even make the tour championship but the Tita Green numbers recently are just like I said out of this world good that that's that's what I want coming into this and you always have the fallback with Lowry is that if shit goes sideways in terms of weather I don't worry about him Exactly. You don't worry about him in bad weather. You don't worry about him in tough scrambling conditions. Um, I, I, I just, I really like him this week. He's really good at avoiding bogeys. He's top five there in bogey avoidance on difficult golf courses, which I think what you mentioned about when the scoring conditions ratchet up, uh, he still can be a solid play for you. So listen, that's not to say that if conditions get bad, he can't play poorly. It's just he's proven time and again that in the worst of conditions, he can at least tread water instead of absolutely yes. blowing up. He might blow up. He might shank it into the water. Who knows? Uh, that's always on the table, especially at this course in particular. But we've also seen him excel. Like, who would you, in your mind, just maybe the stats don't back this up because you can go to Fantasy National and you can click on the windy as fuck option, which is 17 yeah. miles per hour or more. But that doesn't contextualize course whatsoever because certain courses are, listen, if you play at Bay Hill, which is completely exposed, 20 mile per hour winds are a real deal. If you play at some sort of course, which is, you know, a completely, if you played at Wentworth, for example, on the European tour and winds got up to 20 miles per hour. Well, I'm guessing it probably plays a little bit easier, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned like the I think a look at a lot of the Euro guys when the wind picks up um, some of the Australian players as well. Cam Smith played really well here last year and won in the midst of, you know, some of the windiest conditions we've seen at the Sawgrass. So um, Adam Scott has performed really well in the, his just great ball strikers. Morikawa, Sung JM are just some names that come to mind of of really solid players who are going to hit the center of the club face nearly every time they strike the ball. Um, those are the guys that I tend to give an increased 
sort of uh, bump up the board for me in terms of the wind conditions being high. So uh, using the windy as fuck filter on Fantasy National over the past 24 rounds, the top 10 players in the field in terms of total strokes gained in those conditions, Finau, Harris English, Keegan Bradley, Cantley, Scheffler are your top five. Thomas Spieth, Rom, Hideki, Fleetwood, and Lowry uh, are next on the list. And then Sungjae and Adam Hadwin. And, oh, Daniel Berger. Remember Daniel Berger? He used to play golf. Yeah, he used to play golf. We were talking about him because he does have a price point down here. But um, I heard an interview with him earlier this week that sounds like he's still uh, he's still a few weeks, if not months, away from the comeback. I would trust, like you said, the Aussies, the international players, the, the Brits, the Euros, more so than, you know, weirdly enough, and this is kind of because of the landscape that you get in Texas. Texas players tend to play really well in the wind. Absolutely. Very windy in Texas. The speeds, the Scheffler you mentioned is right up there. Um, some of the Phoenix guys, like, did you say Finau was number one on that list? It was yeah. kind of surprised me. I, it blows my mind. And maybe he's just playing like the easiest course as possible. I have no idea. But <laughs> All right. You, you ready for the point of the show where, where we're doing it? Yeah, let's do it. You ready for the winner of the Players' Championship at $8,100, Tom Kim? Um, let's hear your case. I mean, is there a case to be made? You just won the Wyndham Championship. Be. That That's fantastic news. When I think about the style of player and everything that we talked about with Sungjae, I think it more applies to Tom Kim because I think he's not... A, listen, Sungjae is so good because he is so consistent. Tom Kim is not consistent. If he came dead last, I mean, that's on the table. But that's why I think he's such an amazing outright bet because everything almost hinges on his putter time after time after time that he's either going to, like Morikawa in a weird way, that he's going to gain nine strokes or he's going to lose nine strokes. And so far in his career on fast Bermuda greens, he has been amazing. What is something that's going to limit Tom Kim? His driving distance. He doesn't drive it like John Robb or or Rory or Scheffler. But this isn't a course that demands that. What does this course demand and why we like Morikawa? It's about hitting fairways. What does he do? He hits a ton of fairways. He's great with his wedges. He can scramble it. All going to hinge on that putter. And I've seen him figure out this style of green already in his young career. We talked about all the breakthrough guys. A 21-year-old Siwoo, a young Ricky Fowler, a young Sergio, a young Adam Scott. Why not Tom Kim next? You make some valid points. Um, I don't know, but I think that you're getting close there. Look, I think the closest in terms of of one of the best greens comps uh, to use here are, are Phoenix because they're so fast. Um, they also have some of these elements of undulation that I think are very similar to what we're going to see here. And it's Bermuda with this sort of overseed that they have to use in northern Florida, which is a little bit different than southern Florida, uh, which he gained 3.2 strokes putting at. He had a bad off the tee week, which made him finish 50th there. But um, the Wyndham comp you mentioned is sort of spot on. The Shriners, I think, is another decent look. He gains a lot of strokes putting when he plays well, and this does seem like a spot that he can putt well. So he's going to win is what you're saying. Um, I'm not. Did you get one of the early? Have you had this bet in for a while, Pat? Yeah, I, I picked him up at 80 a while ago, but I'm willing to yeah. double back down this week. I bet him to win at Bay Hill simply to hedge against whatever his number is going to be next week. But I think you're going to find like a 50, 60 on Tom Kim. It seems like he is a lot like Morikawa in a weird way that he's kind of fallen down the board where other guys who are playing similar or even worse have retained their position. What I thought was strange. 
yeah, a spot in like the Sony early in the season where the stock on Tom Kim couldn't have been any higher. It does feel like it's dropped to a point right now where it could be a buy. You mentioned there are still some 50 to ones here, but I know there are a lot of people who have had these tickets on Tom Kim and been waiting anxiously for the players championship for a while just seems like his style of course when we think back and we take a look at the career of tom kim maybe it's completely different maybe he's just not good and he has had a very magical run for eight months whatever it might be but i think you're going to see him a lot like a lot of south korean players where do they play well pete die courses sony open the shorter courses on the pga tour because realistically none of them are huge bombers right so that's where I'm going with Tom Kim, $8,100. Currently my favorite play on the board, and there's only one more player at the $8,000 level. That is Jason Day. He's $8,000. Again, another guy who is a former players champion uh, in the midst of, he won it the year after his amazing run when he won the PGA Championship. This felt like the big culmination of everything that he did well. He won the PGA Championship after his big run. It was a bit of a lull for a few months during the swing season to start the year. Then boom, players champion, Jason Day. Couldn't miss a putt that way. I think I think that was the Ken Duke year that Duke just couldn't miss on the greens. <laughs> All right. If you want, if you got the winner at Tom Kim at 8,100, I got the winner at 8,000 at Jason Day. I'm in. He's 50 to one right now. He's $8,000 even on DraftKings. He's got a couple of top tens here in both 2019 and 2018 since they made the changeover. Um, did not, it was just in terrible form last year when he missed the cut here, but he's 21 plus 21 strokes gained over the last five years at Sawgrass. Um, I think that everything has been culminating and rounding back into form, both not only on the course, but off the course for Jason Day. He seems to be in a much better spot in his life with his family, with everything that's going on around him. His swing changes are coming to fruition and he sets up great for this place. Once again, I think that this is the week that he can sort of break through um, and I will be having 8K Jason Day in my lineups uh, for Sawgrass. I am trying to figure that out because I do think, especially when you just compare those two players in general, Tom Kim and Jason day, if I told you that Jason day was, especially if he ends up playing well at Bay Hill, and that's going to be probably the final determining factor in how this ownership shakes out in this range. But I told you that day was three times as owned as Tom Kim. Would you find that surprising? Yes, I would okay. three times as owned. I was going to say, listen, if Tom Kim misses the cut or doesn't play well or just has a bad weekend, whatever it might be, or Day just plays really well and boxes everyone out, I think you could be looking at, like, there's a chance that Fowler or Day is the highest-owned guy on DraftKings next week. Yeah, the Fowler price is going to get a lot of love. (laughs) Um, Jason Day as well, you're right. Um, You're going to have to – I don't mind eating a little chalk here and there, and this is probably one that I'm okay with taking down. Okay. And I'm just saying, if – Day ends up super, super like, let's say 25% owned. That's probably too high to speak of. Then inherently the guys around him are just going to be lower owned, except for Chris Kirk, who's who's next at $7,900. I told you about the Tom Kim profile of player that can really break through at the Players' Championship. Or you could have like the career achievement victory like we talked about. I think, did Stricker win here? Was he another one who ended up winning this event? I can't remember at this point. I'm not sure. It, It always felt like this would have been his biggest win if that was the case. But, I mean, Kirk is in one of the best forms of any player in the world right now. He just won in Florida. Historically plays well at Florida. It's a shorter course. All the comp courses he's played well at. Wouldn't this be the career achievement for Chris Kirk winning the Players' Championship? 1000% yes and he's trending in all those directions he showed the ability last year to just carry Florida 
form uh, basically through. Even though he missed the cut here, he was great at Bay Hill. He was great at Honda. He's playing good once again. Um, all the strengths of his game should set up very well here. Maybe I just make a lineup, Pat, that we just like go like all these guys in a row here, right down Hatton, Lowry, Day, uh, Tom Kim, and Chris Kirk. And we see what's left. Um, I like him once again. He's putting it great. He has the wins in Florida. He has the course history in Florida. I think even um, coming back out of COVID, he played like a corn fairy tour in Jacksonville and won that event. Um, so he's been great. I wouldn't expect anything to be different this week. Before missing the cut last year at Sawgrass, he had made eight consecutive cuts at the Players' Championship. Wow. Uh, he, I don't think he had a top 10 in that time. He had a couple like 12s and 13ths. But it, it does feel like he is... And this isn't going to last. I'm sorry to say about Chris Kirk, but he's in the midst of probably playing the best golf of his career at the moment. And sometimes you just got to ride the heater. Agree. So Chris Kirk, he's going to be in the player pool at 79. How about Fleetwood at 79? This is one of the very, very sticky spots for Fleetwood plus 28 over the last five. I'm I'm just out on Tommy right now. I wish I had seen more signs coming in that would lead me on him. So I've got to kind of overlook the biggest benefactor, which is course history. And I'll say no on Fleetwood for me. I'm still wishy-washy. If the conditions look, I, I mean, he's played well at Bay Hill. He's played well at Honda. Florida does seem to be a spot where he can go through, but I'm with you. Like you see enough. And then like, even at Bay Hill, I was like, oh, I, I, cause I played fleet. I bet Fleetwood at Bay Hill. I have no idea how this bet is going to turn out. It's probably not going to win. I can tell you that much. He might not even make the cut at this point of where I was last watching it, but he was growing great in the, in the wind on Friday. And then, oh yeah, triple bogey. It's like, oh Yeah. Tommy Fleetwood. This is what he does. So I'm still wishy-washy on him as well. And we take a look at his stats a little bit over the past little bit. And yeah, he played a little bit in Europe, but he's gaining on approach again. That's great to see. He's gaining around the greens. That's great to see. He's actually putting well. It's the driver that has started to let him down, which weirdly enough was the best part of his game when we were first introduced to Tommy Fleetwood. Yes, when we were first introduced to Tommy, when it was like him and Rory in the final group here at Sawgrass, which was probably his biggest moment, um, it's been letting him down. He's been missing fairways frequently recently. Yeah, 22nd miscut, 5th, 7th, 41st, and 5 appearances at Sawgrass. Next up, we have what I'm guessing is going to be the lowest owned player above $7,000. Why in God's name is Maverick McNeely $7,800? I don't know. I, th I thought you were going to go Sam Burns. I think he's going to be pretty low on too, but he, Matt McNeely has been awful tee to green. He's been awful in approach. One of the worst players in the field. Um, the, he's not hitting greens. He's terrible on Pete Dye courses. I don't think anyone's going to play him. And I think recently he was a big withdrawal risk. You have the odds there. I mean, he's the only guy in this range getting into triple digits. Nobody's going to touch him. So looking at what he's done, he withdrew from Pebble. He withdrew from Phoenix in terms of injuries and take a look at what he's done this season. 31st at the Farmers, where he did it all with his putter. 7th at the Sony, where he did it all with his putter. I mean, that's what he does. He's going to chip and he's going to putt well, but sometimes you can catch him on a great driving week. Like he had a really nice run. Let's see where it is right here from like the Travelers in 21 through the Heritage in 22, where his off the tee game really exploded. It was really, really good. And then occasionally his irons would come along with it and you'd hope to catch him in the great chipping and putting weeks like we normally see. Like he hasn't lost strokes on the green since the Travelers Championship last summer. That's a pretty amazing feat considering we talk about how up and down and how random putting can be. Mav is actually someone who has shown consistently time after time. And that's what Day is getting back to as well. Like when Day went on his run, yes, T to green, he was like top five in the world, but the dude wouldn't miss a putt ever. 
And Mav's kind of that right. guy. I, I don't even think he's a good pivot play, despite his recent performances in some of these fields, because I just don't think he can drive it or hit an iron. No, he can't get to the green right now, which is his problem um, very successfully. But uh, yeah, if you're a sicko and you wanted to go for a 2% ownership guy at 7,800, maybe take a chance if you're in a huge one of those giant contests. But um, I will not have any. Would you rather play Sam Burns, who was at exactly the same price, who's Listen, he's played poorly his past two starts, but previous to that, he'd actually played quite well uh, in terms of uh, what he become. He came top. He was sixth in Phoenix at an elevated event, and I believe he was 11th at either Amex or Torrey Pines, gained across the board. Yeah, he was 11th at American Express, uh, gained off the tee, gained on approach, gained around the greens, gained on the greens. Ditto for Phoenix when he came in sixth. He was horrible at the Genesis. He was horrible round one at Bay Hill, but... I see in no world where if they're both going to be completely passed over by the entire field, I don't even know if I'm going to get to Burns because I think that Lowry is going to be very lowly owned too. I'd rather just spend up and go to Lowry over Burns in this circumstance. But we're also talking about a guy who has what four wins in the past two years. Rather have that guy. If I'm trying to get to the top of tournaments. Yes. I think Burns makes more has always made more sense to me pat as a bet than a DraftKings play um he misses as many cuts as anyone sort of in his price range statistically i think as anybody i worry about the swing he's been awful t to green he's been awful on approach um our buddy travis fulton did like a little swing analysis and just talked about how his timing is totally off right now from when he was hitting it great um, he does have the ability to just put good rounds together in spite of that. I don't think that he does it for four straight days. And given the the, the players around him, both above and below, that I like a little bit more, um, I won't have any burns either. Is Adam Scott one of the players that you are very interested in this week? Yes. I'm always interested in Adam Scott. Um, he's awesome. Strokes gain total at Pete Dye courses. He was one of the guys that I mentioned. He's been awesome in terms of TPC Sawgrass second in terms of the amount of strokes gained he's gained here um, plays well in Florida he's done it at the Honda before he's done it at Doral he's done it at Bay Hill he's doing it this week uh, when I turned off the coverage earlier today he was in like third place making a nice little run um, I like Adam Scott seventy seven hundred dollars I'll be in he has played this tournament every year since 2003. He was the 2004 Players Champion. He was eighth the year after that. The past five years, though, I mean, that's going back in time a little bit. Uh, miscut, 48th, 12th, 11th, 6th, 12th. So even in his recent history, he's been pretty good. He hasn't lost strokes on approach since 2014. Even then, he was 0.1 of a stroke below field average. It's kind of crazy, and the putting has actually been quite good for him here. The round, the green has been really good. It's been the driving that's got himself into trouble the past two years, and last year he was a part of the bad wave, so that's really tough to look at. But even looking at how yeah. he's done so far this season, the driving has been pretty good outside, weirdly, of the one short course that he played at the Sony when he was kind of a disaster off the tee. He was a disaster off the tee. He's kind of going... Uh, he's had this rotation with Caddy as well, which is weird because he has Stevie Williams, but then he's not on the bag this week, but he was at ribs. So I'm not sure what's going on there, but um, I like his upside and sort of, I always like him. This, I've been looking for this sort of bounce back in performance and, and him to elevate to the player he once was like we're seeing out of Jason day. Like we saw Justin Rose get the win recently. I think it's close for Adam Scott. Um, and, and I'm going to be a part of it probably at 7,700. I'm curious to see where he ends up landing in terms of popularity because he does seem like he might get vaulted unless everyone loves Day, everyone loves Kirk, or maybe they end up going to Fowler, who's a little bit cheaper. 
I don't know whether he's going to be popular or not. Not that that will be the ultimate determining factor, because, listen, if I think that someone is going to be good, and I think that Scott can be very good, I don't really give a shit what their ownership is going to be. Like, if Tom Kim is going to be 30% owned, I'm going to play Tom Kim at 30% ownership. I think he's going to win. I want to play the guy that I think is going to win. I think that Scott is going to have a good performance. I am going to use him. But he is someone that, you know, if all of a sudden... Like, that's the problem. The guys around him, like Justin Rose is also exactly the same price, I believe. Yes, they're both $7,700. Like, in no world would I really want to play Rose over Scott, regardless of what happens. (laughs) I agree. And it's funny because Rose is 65 to 1 and Scott's 80 to 1 right there. I actually like Scott a lot better than Justin Rose, the guy who's struggling this week. Um, I think that he he got that win back, but this is a spot in particular I would much rather have a player with Adam Scott's skill set. Yeah, Rose missed cut last year, hadn't played since 2019 when he was eighth before that, eighth, 23rd, 65th, 19th. He got the win at Pebble Beach, a shorter course, and maybe that's what we're looking at for Justin Rose at this point of his career, that maybe he'll end up playing the shorter course as well. I don't know. Because he's going to miss at Genesis. He's probably going to miss at Bay Hill in two elevated events. He wins Pebble, which was the worst field of the year. Maybe that's just the type of player that he is now, that he can really excel in weaker fields. And in stronger fields, he can be good-ish, but not really competitive. Yeah, that makes a good point. So when you see him in a weaker field spot, I think that, you know, going down the stretch there, the guys that he had to compete with, even though it was my my good pal, Denny McCarthy, um, I think that he's a lot more confident in those situations. And he played really well on that Monday morning, despite all the um, additional factors in there. But when you add him in there with the top 20, 25 players in the world, I think that uh, those guys have a better skill set than he does right now. Pivot of the week. When you're looking for it, play Siwoo Kim instead of playing Ricky Fowler and see how that goes. What do we think? Love it. Love it. Every bit of it. Um, Siwoo is, we know about him on P-Die. His opportunities gain numbers are fantastic. I love his aggressiveness. Strokes gain total at this particular course. He ranks third in the field. He's hitting, Siwoo's hitting a ton of fairways right now. So he's really got the driver actually quite dialed in in terms of his accuracy off the tee. Um, The only thing that I sometimes worry about is uh, he he sometimes will start missing some greens, um, but he's fantastic on and around them in terms of chipping happy to pivot off ricky and go straight to siwoo i'm I'm, i hope you're with me on that oh of course Uh, siwoo was a bet this week too he's never missed a cut at the players championship in five goes he's (laughs) won this tournament he has a top five at this tournament and just look i mean it's pretty evident like when i do the research on sunday for the research show there's going to be we're going to you know do the pete die tab but we're also going to go to what I like to call sort of like the Pete Dye Slam, which I throw in other courses like Sony and at Colonial, that kind of thing. Siwa has four wins on the PGA Tour. He's won at the Sony, Pete Dye American Express, Pete Dye the Players, and the course that I called the biggest comp, which was the Wyndham Championship. Those are his four wins on the PGA Tour. And oh, where are his seconds coming? Oh, the Wyndham. Heritage is another one. Pete Dye on that list. Short Bermuda. Third at the Wyndham. Fourth at the Sony. Pebble Beach. That short. He came fourth. That course. Fifth at the Wyndham. Sanderson Farms. Another short Bermuda. Eighth. You mentioned the Shriners earlier. Eighth at the Shriners. Ninth at the Players. Pete Dye. American Express. Ninth in his career. Like, yeah, we always have this perception of Siwoo that he's just going to be absolutely the Ricky Bobby, first or last. But when you get him at this style, of course, is where he excels. 
There are some narratives that we try to force. This is one that there's just so much history and and legit truth behind. I think that you have to buy into it as well. Um, I, I I'll be having plenty of Siwoo. And listen, if you go look at his stats from the past two starts from Phoenix and Genesis, yeah, the approach numbers are really bad. And he was like really bad at the Genesis and he couldn't putt at the Genesis. At least the putter had come along a little bit, the new long putter that he's got on the go. It's much better than when I bet him at the Masters that year and he broke his putter and had to putt with his yeah. five wood. That wasn't great. But he's been weirdly consistent for Siwoo Kim outside of one start. Did you hear, I got to ask, did you hear the story about him at Genesis? No. So the reason there were like the photos circulating of Tiger and Rory and JT like laughing at that one tee box while they were waiting, um, they were laughing at Siwoo. So apparently on the tee that hole, his <laughs> he was just like, you know how when he checks out, he goes full, uh, full eject on things. His ball fell off the tee. And instead of re-putting it back on the tee, which you're allowed to do, he left it there and just <laughs> took driver off the tech on the tee box. I love it. I love I love classic Siwoo. I love Siwoo's like don't give a fuck attitude. If if he's not yeah. if he doesn't have a chance to win, he legit doesn't give a shit. Doesn't give a shit, exactly. And he's going like you mentioned, the reason that he won this tournament, he had a chance to go win it. Poulter took a look from the from the straw on 18 and said, "You know what? I'm going to lay up. I'm going to play for a second yeah. and win 2 million dollars or whatever the hell it was." Pretty good move for Poulter who loves himself some money if anyone watched that Netflix series, but Siwoo said, "I'm going to go win this." And I think he took driver off the deck from the rough at Sawgrass at one point on the par five. Like, I, I love this guy. Perfect. So, Siwoo, we're in on. Let's put a star next to his name on Fantasy National. And just where he is currently placed in the pricing with Day, Kirk above him, Adam Scott likely to be very popular. And then you have Ricky Fowler and Keegan Bradley, the, the last two guys that we're probably going to talk about just below him, there's a chance he get, like, he'll get ownership because of the course history, and that it's not going to be me and you who like Siwoo Kim this week. Everyone's going to like Siwoo Kim. But there still is a part of people's gut when they want to play it safe at this tournament, being like, yeah, don't know if I can have him in my DraftKings. Like, he's a better bet than a DraftKings play. It's like, well, he could also be a great DraftKings play too. Yeah, Ricky being right there, I think, is huge for Siwoo's ownership this week. Well, Ricky is not quite there yet. Do you have any interest in the gala in Florida? Nope. Okay. That's an easy one. We can move on from him. Uh, Billy Horschel, 7,600. He is a, he's, feels like a Florida man. He's a Florida Gator. You think he would have been played, he would have played better at this tournament over the years. Yeah, you would. And I thought he would, would have played better at the Honda a few weeks ago. Kind of a disappointing finish for him. He mentioned some things. They had him on the sort of, uh, you know, AirPod segment where he talks going down and he talks about how he's really struggling with some elements of his swing right now. I don't think that any spot in Florida is a place to really correct that if things are going well and you aren't confident if your miss is going to be left or right um i'm a little worried about him he's not hitting greens he's he's 133rd in opportunities gained so he's just not giving himself enough birdie looks to really be in firm contention i'm with you i think the and horschel are pretty decent fades if the explodes like i think the is a good player that you know egg on my face uh it's certainly within yeah. the range of outcomes but i just i'm not feeling that i would rather play siwoo scott I'd probably rather take the chance on Burns just because it's on Bermuda. Maybe he gains 40 strokes putting. <laughs> mm -hmm. Agree with you there. Next guy on the list, Ricky Fowler, $7,500. I mentioned Day is a potential candidate to be the highest owned player. I think that Homa has that ability. Rom potentially has that ability if he wins again. 
But the I think the favorite for highest owned player in the Millionaire Maker on DraftKings at the Players Championship has to be a seventy five hundred dollar Ricky Fowler. I'll be fading it. Um, I think that he's made extremely positive signs in almost every part of his game. Although I'm just going to like, I agree with you on the ownership thing, which is why in terms of this being mainly DraftKings focused, um, if Ricky is 20 to 25% owned in a tournament that's extremely volatile, which even given his win um, at this event, the last 36 rounds played on Pete Dye courses, he's minus 18.4 strokes gain. He's losing almost a stroke per round on Pete Dye. Now, there have been some dark times in there, but um, I'm just going to play the other guys around him and hope that, uh, yeah, look, if he if he finds himself in contention, we'll all be sort of rooting for Ricky a little bit, but I won't have any, I won't have any click on my lineups Ricky Fowler won the players championship in 2015 I believe it was Sergio was in the playoff it was Kevin Kisner who was in the playoff as well that year since Mm -hmm. that victory miscut 60th miscut 47th miscut you mentioned that those were through some darker times and we take a look at what he's done recently a lot of green especially in the approach category on that list and it seems like he was playing pretty well at Bay Hill the last time that I checked too uh, and you mentioned Phoenix is a potential crossover. He putted really well on those greens. I'm good with a fade as well if he's going to be the highest owned guy, only because I don't think that he's substantially better than any of the other names that we mentioned. Maybe he's as good. Maybe he is slightly better currently than some of the other guys around him. But I don't think that if you're going to have a gap of at least like five to 10 percentage points between him and everyone else in this range, why mm-hmm. you wouldn't just take the other ones if it's a coin flip situation. Right there with you on that. What about Keegan, who's the same price? I'd play Keegan over Fowler. 100%. That's my guy there. Um, if I'm not going to play Siwoo, I'm definitely Keegan is like 1B in there. Um, he's been great on Pete Dye. He's shown ability in Florida. He was great here last year, and he's just back to Keegan where he's striking the absolute hell out of the ball and putting it very close on every hold. And if he does that enough times, it can mitigate some of his struggles from time to time with the putter. Um, everything that I have rated out here and sort of my model on the other screen is almost all green for Keegan. Um, I think that he sets up well. I'm happy to go there at what I think is going to be a much lower ownership than Ricky right next to him. If we take a look at tournament history, strokes gain total over the past five years, would it shock you to learn Keegan Bradley is number one at this tournament? Not too much, just based on what he did last year. Um, But yeah, it's definitely a a little bit jarring to know that Keegan has been so good here. You have Tommy there as well. Um, He's been great. I wouldn't expect anything different. Keegan, Fleetwood, Scott, Thomas, Webb, Simpson are the top five. Siwoo, Day, Corey Connors, Alex Noren, and John Rahm are the next five on that list. And then, you know, now it's probably time. Let's talk Tiger for a second. Do you think Tiger's going to play? No. Do you? I do, weirdly enough. Hmm. I hope he does. He needs to. He absolutely needs to. Look, in... in 2019, I might be getting this year wrong, but in 2019, when he finally made the comeback complete, um, he played like 17 or 18 times leading up to that. He was playing a lot. I think that he's 
actually practicing quite a bit now. Like I would say he's at the course six to eight hours minimum a day working on his game. He needs to play golf tournaments if he wants to recommit to sort of being in majors. And we had seen it with the run up where he played Honda really well. He played Bay Hill really well. He played Valspar really well. Like he needs to play these tournaments, particularly that are close to home for him and sort of more in his comfort zone that aren't 7,800 yards. Yes. Um, I would love to see him do it, but I just don't think he's going to it just seem judging by the interviews that he is planning on just gearing everything toward these four majors i hope i'm wrong i hope i'm wrong i wasn't i hope i'm right that i do think that he's going to play let's say he is in the field at seventy five hundred dollars i would play tiger this week really yeah over I, keegan or siwoo no i would play i mean Listen, I'm going to be playing a lot of lineups. If I was playing one lineup, Tiger probably wouldn't make it. But if Ricky's going to be, he's not going to be owned if there's one thing that we know. And this is specifically mm-hmm. the style of course where I do think that Tiger, listen, you have four majors. Tiger is better off never playing the PGA Championship or the U.S. Open. I don't think he has a chance yeah. at those tournaments. Right. Could he win an Open Championship? Yeah, I think he could depending on the conditions yeah. and how he's playing could. And it's super, it's usually like it's bumpy, but it's kind of super flat and the masters. He'll be competitive there until he's 60 years old. Cause that's just the way that yeah. the masters works outside of that. The players, a completely flat short course on Bermuda in Florida. That sounds like the recipe where tiger could still compete. Absolutely. Yeah. You meant it's funny. You mentioned not play. He'd be better off playing like the heritage than he would the U S open. Um, but yeah, he could compete. Um, showed actually looked, I thought better than he had in like the, all of last year, um, at the Genesis. So it's all going to sort of, like he mentioned, depend on that recovery and how he felt the Monday morning after. Um, I hope he does. I'm still, we're, we're still waiting to see if he makes that commitment or not. We're now below $7,500. We're not going to go player by player from this point on, but I do want you to tell me a few guys below here. Cause I want to start with two of them that are near the bottom that I'm going to start with. If you want to go pure stars and scrubs, how do you feel about Mr. Players Championship, the Gim Reaper, Doug Gim? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, where is he even at? $6,100. Okay, so he's all the way at the bottom. Okay, so let me see where I have him ranked here. 6,100 Doug Gim. He's 111th in my model. That's not great. Um, but strokes gain total numbers, as you mentioned, are popping inside the top 10 here for Mr. Doug Gim. Um, I don't think I'm going to have to quite go this low, but uh, he makes some compelling points if you're going to go all the way to the bottom and, and go with the catfish at the bottom of the lake. He has made one of his past six cuts. It was his last one at the <laughs> Genesis. He came in 62nd. He's played TPC Sawgrass twice in this tournament. He's a 13th and a 6th. I don't know what it is about this course, but he's got to kind of figure it out for whatever reason. Yeah, um, something's going right for him. Okay. The other one I have from down here, uh, it's a name that we all know is probably a better play. I have him start already $6,200. Is there a reason not to use Eric Cole? Gosh, he's been so good, Pat. And I was so impressed with just watching him at the Honda, his ability to scramble. Um, he hits a ton of fairways. He's a good putter. And the fact that he, we see so many times these sort of no-name guys who are a great story on Friday and Saturday, and you don't see them on Sunday. They completely lose coverage. Um, he's 
actually played really well in a very stressful environment. He's great in Florida. He won twice actually before competing at the Honda in January on minor league tour events down here. Um, so yeah, there, there is very good reason to believe if you need a $6,200 that Eric Cole um, can get the job done once again. Yeah. If you need someone from down here, I think he is by far the best option, whether that comes to fruition or not. I have no idea, but I just, like you said, the, the minor league tour events as weird as that sounds just, he has, and it's the Florida minor league tour. He just, it's one of the reasons that I bet him at Honda and thought he would do well. The scrambling is excellent that you mentioned the fairways. The putter has been, I mean, the putter has been especially good, even at Bay Hill in round one, just on Florida greens on this Bermuda. He's got to figure it out. Yeah, I was thinking about you because I was with Jeff at the Honda and he was telling me how you, him and Sky were the sickos on Eric Cole. And I'm like, how did you land on Eric Cole? Um, but it was fun to see him really play well and be in contention um, all the way throughout. Ben Ann is another one. Another Pete Dye who was at one point of his career a Pete Dye specialist. But he's just playing a lot much. He's playing much better golf right now. And I'm in on Ben Ann as well. Okay. Um, one of the guys that I like sort of in this low end six K range, um, Sam Ryder, $6,300, uh, always plays pretty good in Florida, made the cut at the Honda previously before withdrawing this year. And the reason he withdrew is because he had three straight ridiculous weeks where, um, all top twenties on the West coast, Genesis Phoenix, obviously the fourth place finished at the farmers where he was in that thing pretty late, but the putter is going really well for him right now. He's been able to slowly kind of pick up some of the T to green game. Um, and, and it, you know, made the cut last year at the players. I think that at 6,300, um, it's, you're going to struggle to find a player with three straight, top 20s in legit PGA tour fields that's down in this below $6,500. I wrote up Sam Ryder this week for Bay Hill, where I thought he would play a lot better than he did, at least in round one. We'll see how that goes. The issue that I brought up, but he was still so cheap and he was such a long shot. And we're going to get the same idea this week that at Genesis and in Phoenix, he had the top 20s in the elevated events. A lot of that was putting. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of it hinges on that, but with any of these guys down here in sort of the 6K range, you're going to need them to gain three to five strokes putting in order for them to probably finish in the top 40. Do you buy into a Davis Riley resurgence? Cause he's only $6,500. Okay. I saw briefly that he had some good rounds at the Honda and I saw him flash on the leaderboard this week at Bay Hill when I was looking before a record and I was like, whoa, um, I think that he's a very good price point next week. Um, I also kind of like the other Davis, Davis Thompson a little bit at 6,600 um, played well at the Amex. He plays in Sea Island there, which actually is Sea Island is actually closer to like this Jacksonville area than like the Palm Beach guys are. Um, so he should have some familiarity with the conditions, with the types of green surfaces that he's going to play on with courses that are surrounding by a lot of water. Um, I like Davis Thompson this week in a potential spot to bounce back. And he was great at the Amex when he was able to sort of club down off the tee. And the guy hits a freaking four iron a mile long. So if he's able to do that at a place like Sawgrass, I think he could have success once again. So there's a collection of guys at 6,600. We're, listen, I'm not naming names to name names here. I think these guys are all viable options, but I don't know how many are going to make the final player pool. That's for Wednesday show with Tambo. 
Bob Shelton, Robbie Shelton rates out really well for me coming into this yes. week and has done his best work at shorter courses. I think that Svensson, you can kind of throw on the same. You mentioned Sea Island. He just won RSM. Mm-hmm. He's had good goes at the Honda in the past. It does seem like shorter courses are where you want to use Adam Svensson. And in a highly random tournament where putting can go up and down, we know he's not a great putter, but he does have some spike weeks. Maybe it does advantage the worst putter in a lot of circumstances where, you know, he's we know he's going to lose strokes putting anyway, that if all of the guys who are normally good putters also lose strokes or don't putt well. Maybe it just get, it mitigates that gap a little bit. You mentioned Davis Thompson. The other one I would say is Aaron Rye, and I can't wrap my mind around it because on paper, I think this is a great course for him. He's going to hit every fair. Uh, he is a lot like the case I made for Tom Kim. He's just not as good, at least in my mind, as Tom Kim. Fairways, wedges, hopefully he can make some putts. Yep, Aaron Rye's right there. The same price as Aaron Rye, like Justin Suh. I was actually super impressed with him following him at the Honda. Um, he's top 15 in terms of hitting fairways, so you you can kind of uh, worry less about the water and the trouble for guys who are a little errant off the tee. And he's hitting a ton of greens, top six in greens and reg. If he's able to carry some of that confidence from the earlier Florida swing event and continue to hit fairways and greens, that's going to be a good recipe for a course like this where we're going to see a lot of blowups. Uh, JT Poston is $7,000, played this event three times, 22nd, 22nd in a missed cut, has won the Wyndham Championship, a shorter course at John Deere. He's won there. He's come second at the Heritage. He's actually playing some pretty good golf this season. Um, I mean, he ended up squeaking through the cut line at the Honda, couldn't putt to save his life. The putting has been a problem the last three weeks. And listen, I don't expect him to play well in, at the Genesis or Phoenix Longer courses, elevated events. I don't expect that to be what he does well, but played well at the Sony. Played well at the Pete Dye. Came six at the American Express. Couldn't putt last week. That was an issue. Uh, I do like him here at $7,000. I think that he'll end up making the player pool. Maybe it'll be a top 30 bet, top 40 bet, something like that. You also have Thomas Dietrich at $7,100. And a lot was put Hmm. into him five putting from two feet or whatever it was at the Honda. But outside of that, like one day, he's played great golf. Yeah, and then was there ever a reason for the withdrawal at the Honda, or was si- it just that sinuses. he five-putted? Sinuses. Was like, he had bad sinuses. Sinuses, okay. I hadn't heard that one before. Yeah, it's pollen season down here in Florida, man. It's tough. I understand that, but I uh, haven't heard that in terms of a withdrawal before. You mentioned Poston. Um, he had made some comments that he was dealing with a little bit of an injury. I'm not sure. Maybe get a little more clarity on that as well. Ben Griffin like just yeah. keeps doing it. And I saw him do it again at Bay Hill. He's got a ton of green at everything that I look at in terms of approach and tee to green and opportunities and all this stuff. He's just been playing on such a fantastic hot run at $7,100. Um, I'm pretty confident that at this point, he's just good. Like I thought he was just a guy that was coming in on a hot run. And now it's just feeling more and more like, okay, this is actually the player that this guy might be or might be on a track to become. And take a look at where he's performed the best. Wyndham last year, that was like his one of his first PGA starts, fourth short Bermuda. At the Bermuda Championship, third short Bermuda. Yep. Sony Open, 12th short Bermuda. Honda, 21st short Bermuda. Why not, right? Absolutely, yeah. So just play, just play your combo of Ben Griffin and Eric Cole, and you'll probably be good to go. There you go, the young studs, man. Uh, Connors is someone I mentioned that has a pretty good run at this tournament. All the Canadians actually have pretty good run here. Pendrith played really well here last year. A bomber who plays well at shorter courses. Adam Hadwin is another one who had a really nice run last year. And Corey Connors has just been really good at this course. Do you have a preference between those three? Do you like all of those three? Would you rather play Keith Mitchell, Tom Hoagie, or Brian Harmon over those guys? 
I actually really like Corey Connors, ranked eighth overall in the model that I ran. Top 10 in terms of Pete Dye, greens and reg, opportunities gained. Um, he's been really solid. I saw that he had a great round going earlier today at Bay Hill, which helps, right? I want to see him get a little bit of that confidence and start getting these top 10 finishes, which I haven't really seen out of him. So of those three, I'm most confident in a nice bounce back and hopefully a good week for Corey Connors. Uh, it's a TPC course, so KH Lee, uh, auto play. Never been a KH Lee guy, man. You like him? No, not really, but you know, TPC yeah. Lee, there's a reason he's got the name. That's right. It, you know, down at 7,300, like it does feel like we talked earlier about guys who um, the stock price had kind of fallen a little bit and maybe an opportunity to buy low. Taylor Montgomery kind of feels like one of those guys. 7,300, like this guy was in some of the weaker field events, like in the top five in terms of pricing throughout the fall. He was basically top 15 to everything he went to. Um, some of the numbers have slipped a little bit, although he posted a really good early round today before the wind likely I, I, to very much. I, I think that he gained, I mean, this is what he does. He can't hit an iron to save his life, but he might mm -hmm. gain nine strokes putting in a round that that happens for him. And it happens a lot. It's not like just a random thing for him. It seems to be quite frequent. So maybe he's just like a Denny McCarthy. Who's a little bit stronger and longer off the tee. Do you like Denny? I do. I always like Denny though, Pat. Um, if this course plays hard, I actually kind of like Denny more. Like he showed up in weird spots, not only at Pebble, but like the U.S. Open last year and Southern Hills and Riviera and these spots where you don't really expect him to be able to compete. Um, he shows up and strikes the heck out of the ball and he, he's hot and cold. Everyone loved him at the Honda. The miscut was like, that's Denny, right? Anytime everyone's on him, it's not going to happen. But at $7,300, if the ownership is low, I will definitely have some McCarthy. All right. I think we've kind of spoke through everyone we want. And let, uh, say it now or forever hold your peace on names that we can bring up in this field that we can break down a little bit more. Is there anyone else? Listen, we talked about a lot of guys. I wonder about Cameron Davis a oh, little God. bit as the one guy we didn't talk about who I was really high on to start the season. Um, still striking it okay, but it's just been such a bad stretch for him. Um, another guy that I think could be in a decent buy low spot, but uh, we touched on just about probably 100 players just now. So um, it was good to kind of talk through it on the weekend before the Players' Championship, and I can't wait to see what what Sawgrass brings. Hopefully get, we get that, that one day of carnage that always makes it fun and extremely tilting do you see a cutoff point in terms of quality in this field because it felt like the keegan to tiger hoagie drop off is like a real shelf and then after that like you have i mean connors and mitchell are right there as well but like yes. connors and keegan strike me as very much the same player like <laughs> i mean for obvious reasons when you look at their numbers keegan has obviously accomplished far more in his career than Corey connor's but at this point in time they do feel like similar players so maybe seventy four hundred dollars is really the cutoff because you have Harmon, mitchell hoagie and connor's at seventy four hundred then you drop to burger who's not playing who obviously we would like at this course but at 73 and down like it starts with like norin montgomery denny mccarthy that feels like a line of demarcation of the guys who could potentially win this tournament and then the guys you're hoping come inside the top 20. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Those guys you mentioned in Mitchell, Connors, Keegan, those are guys you can see like top fiving at this event. Um, once you get to that, you have far more question marks. So um, yeah, depending on how you want to construct your lineup, there does seem to be a bit of a plateau and a drop off right around that $7,400 price point. Joe Idone, where can everyone find your work this week for the players championship are you doing anything extra or just point people in the right direction 
Yeah, absolutely. It's at Tour Picks on Twitter. Monumental milestone week for me. Finally got across that 10K barrier. So I appreciate anyone who's followed along on the account and the journey that I've been on. Uh, Monday nights, 8.30 p.m. live, YouTube, Twitter. I will have the Preferred Lines podcast where we'll be breaking down uh, more from the betting board and, of course, preview standpoint for the Players' Championship. Wednesday, as I do the Jock Market Power Hour, which I talked a lot about sort of stocks going up and down. It's the ultimate spot to sort of buy and sell shares of actual PGA Tour golfers on this uh, for this event, which is always a ton of fun. Um, I appreciate you as always, Pat. I had you and Jeff on the last couple of weeks and it was a ton of fun. So thank you for supporting uh, the podcast that I do. And it's always a, a true joy to be on the Pat Mayo Experience Open. Well, you can play in the Pat Mayo Experience Open by hitting the description and getting one of your three entries, $75,000 of guaranteed money, rake-free on DraftKings this week to the viewers and the listeners. I told you about the 500 bucks I'm giving away. Might sneak in a Fantasy National membership in there, too. We'll see how that goes. But at least $500 in cash will be given away. Probably the best way to say it. The way to get the most ballots in that is to subscribe and download, of course, and rate five stars on the Pat Mayo Experience on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Spotify. Uh, you can sub to the YouTube channel. That's another three. And you could uh, get two for following me on Twitter at the PME. Subbing to the newsletter as well. We'll make that, you know what? We'll make that five. It's the second most valuable thing you can do. Join the free newsletter down in the description. All right. Smash a like on the way out. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.